0: Welcome to the show, and our today's guest is a writer who loves to tell her stories and a patient advocate who founded the nonprofit Blue Fairy, the Adhering Can Belgian Cancer Association. She is the CEO and co founder of Cancer University, a for profit social benefit digital health company. With Cancer University, she synchronizes her talents of coaching, writing, teaching, and advocacy. And for over 10 years now, she worked in the education field as a teacher and professor for public and private schools, as well as universities. She obtained her master's degree in professional writing for University of Southern California. Her n- writing has won na- national awards. Her best selling and award winning book, Better of Bald, is a medical mayor- memoir about raising and losing her sister to a liver cancer. And she's none other than Andrea Wilson-Oates, and we welcome her to the show. So how do you feel being on the show and on the first (laughs) please?
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, amazing. So, firstly, tell us about your past, and how did everything got started for you?
1: Well, the reason I'm in the cancer space um, goes goes back uh, a long time. When I was 22 years old. I was living in Los Angeles. I had finished uh, college, attending University of Southern California, and I ended up getting custody of my then eight-year-old sister, Adrienne. And I was her only parent and legal guardian. And I raised Adrian all through my 20s um, until one month after her 15th birthday. She was very unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. And that was 20 years ago this year. And she only lived 147 days with that diagnosis. She died at the age of 15, a few months after my 29th birthday. So the following year, I was 30 years old. And it just changed the whole course of my life.
0: Okay. That's really sad to hear. So. So is this the only reason why you're doing what you're doing right now?
1: Absolutely. I was 30 years old and what I had been doing previously just didn't matter to me anymore. And I wanted to help patients and caregivers who had been in our situation. So I started a nonprofit, as you said in the intro, called Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association. And Blue Fairy's mission is to prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer, specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, through research, education, and advocacy. And that's how I got started in the cancer space. And I've been in it now for 18 years.
0: That's quite long. <laughs> absolutely.
1: I'm aging myself. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. So, what was the actual mindset shift for? For you, so what was the, your previous thinking before uh, that happened? That incident happened, and what was that after it? After, what was the mindset after that?
1: Well, before Adrian got sick, I think like many people, I didn't know very much about liver cancer. the The only thing I knew about liver cancer was if you were an alcoholic, you might get liver cancer. That was all I knew, and when she was diagnosed, it just didn't make any sense. She was as far from the typical patient who got liver cancer at that time, which was a non-North American male over the age of 50. And here she was a female, Caucasian, 15 years old, who had never even traveled outside the US. Um, But it turns out that alcoholism is not necessarily the most common cause of of liver cancer, the type she had, the most common type of liver cancer. Um, there are viral hepatitis causes, and we found out that Adrienne had both chronic hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Uh, we never knew, and she had gotten it from our mother during childbirth. Um, yeah, I learned a lot. Let's put it that way. I learned a lot. and And then after she died, when I decided to start the charity, let me back up. I didn't want to start a charity. That was not my goal. Um, I wanted to find a way to channel my grief. And my only thing was to volunteer. I just wanted to help and volunteer. So I actually reached out to another nonprofit organization that focused on liver disease broadly. And I offered to create something for them in liver cancer because my background is writing and marketing. And they wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. So i like to joke that if they had not said no to me, then I might not have made this huge career change because they did not want anything to do with liver cancer. And I did a lot of research. And at that time, this is late 2002, there was not a single organization in the US dedicated to hepatocellular carcinoma. And that's how I decided to start Blue Fairy. You know, um, Lily Tomlin has this great, great quote that goes something like, I realized somebody should do something about that. And then I realized that somebody was me. And that's what happened. I realized that somebody was me and I had to create this organization to help people who have liver cancer as well as their loved ones.
0: Okay, interesting, Lily. So how did that mindset shift actually transfer into an entrepreneurial career?
1: You know, well, starting a nonprofit is still being an entrepreneur, right? Nonprofits still have to make a profit. (laughs) Some people don't realize that, but you do. It's just the profits go right back into the the business. Um, And there are a lot of laws governing charities. Um, However, my other company, Cancer U., It is a for-profit health tech startup. And that came out of my experience running my charity. Um, And Cancer U is an online membership platform for cancer patients and caregivers to educate, empower, and engage them to become advocates for their cancer care to improve outcomes and reduce cost. And the mindset shift that happened there was I have been coaching patients and caregivers pro bono for over a decade. And what I was discovering was it wasn't enough to give people educational materials, which is something that my charity does in that very specific type of cancer. People need more than that. They need help with figuring out how to incorporate those materials, how to you know, be a, an informed patient. And so... People were calling me and emailing me and sending me messages on Facebook, and they still do. And they were asking, okay, well, what's next? I have this information. I've got your brochure. Now, what do I do? And Cancer U really developed out of trying to solve that problem. So Cancer U has courses for education, coaching for empowerment, and community for engagement
0: okay so they can learn and they can practice as well and connect with other people who are who have the same knowledge
1: absolutely and they can incorporate what they learn it's it's really that um proverb i guess of giving a man a fish or teaching him how to fish we're teaching people how to navigate that navigate that cancer journey
0: okay that's anything actually now So what new things that you have to learn? So even though you're running running a non-profit, but there is a difference between like running a non-profit and a for-profit. So when you were actually starting that for-profit, so what new things you have to learn?
1: Oh, gosh, so much. (laughs) If you plan to take outside investment, you have to really learn that world. And it's a totally different world. Even if you're raising money from family and friends, it's completely different. Um, you have to learn the lingo. You have, to, you have to know your numbers, which I know we're going to talk about. Um, it, it's very, very different. So for my charity, the way I raised money initially was we did a whole lot of fundraising events around marathons so a couple of board directors and I would run marathons and raise funds and we did that for the first couple of years and that's how we got a little bit of money to really you know get the charity off the ground not a whole lot but it was some money Um, with a for-profit you need to either bootstrap it which means you're you know you have money that you're putting into it or you need investment or you need both and it's really, really critical to understand that. So if there's anything I wish I had known three years ago, it was that that we really needed more money sooner.
0: Okay, yeah. interesting. That was actually a really good learning for like every entrepreneur. Yeah. Now, now I, I want to talk about the numbers part. So that, as you mentioned already, and so what are... What numbers does a person have to, know, like focus on, on how important are they?
1: Well, you need to know what your revenue projections are. You know, how much are you going to make on that? Um, If you're not profitable right away, when are you going to be profitable? Amazon's a great example. Um, Amazon was never going to be profitable by selling books. And that was never the plan with Amazon. And Amazon wasn't going to be profitable for many, many years. And that was the plan, not to be profitable until a certain point. And Amazon breaks even on most of its retail products, but they have all these other services that they offer now. And that's where they make a a huge chunk of their revenue and they are profitable. So you you really need to know those numbers. You need to know projected revenue. You know, when are you gonna be profitable? Um, what are your margins? You know, and it, and it does really vary whether you're selling a consumer product or service, whether you're selling directly to consumers or you're selling to businesses or both.
0: Interesting. Uh, now, so, like, how can actually a person who does not have, like, who is just starting out can focus on the numbers? Like, to actually, can you give us a list of a few numbers that a person has to focus on, and as well as how can they actually manage those numbers properly?
1: Well, I did say some of the numbers you need to know, your projected revenue, revenue, profitability, your margins. Um, But there's a resource I want to recommend that I wish someone had recommended to me from the very beginning that I stumbled upon myself. It's called the corporatefinanceinstitute.com. And they have a lot of free courses. And I just wish I had seen this at the very beginning. I've taken some of their free courses and it really just helps you understand why you need to know those numbers, what they are. It also helps you understand sort of basic accounting. So if you are not familiar with what a PL statement is, which is profit and loss, um, it helps you understand it better. It helps you understand what a balance sheet is and what accounts receivable um, and accounts payable are. So if you if it's a whole new world for you, And especially if you're not comfortable with numbers, then I highly recommend corporatefinanceinstitute.com. And I'm not a brand ambassador. They're not paying me. Um, It just they have some really good free resources that will help you better understand the numbers. Are you going to get back on camera here and join me?
0: Yeah, I will actually. (laughs) Uh, I will. Don't worry about that. Uh, so now so now, the thing I want to ask you is like, what is your vision for your company? Let's say both of it. So uh, your nonprofit as well as for profit. So what's your vision for it for the next, next five or 10 years?
1: My vision for my charity, Blue Fairy, is that there will be either a cure for liver cancer or that we will be able to manufacture synthetic livers because people die waiting for a liver transplant if they're even eligible. And most people aren't, but if we would, if we would be able to create synthetic livers that could actually substitute for our real liver synthetic organs, period, that would be a game changer. Um, there are many drugs on the market now for patients who have advanced liver cancer, but they are what they call palliative drugs. They're not curative. They extend life, but they do not cure the disease. They don't make it go away. So that's my um, vision in five to 10 years. I, I really want to see a cure for liver cancer in my lifetime period. For uh, my health tech startup, Cancer U, my vision is that from the moment you hear those horrible three words, you have cancer, or in my case, your sister has cancer, or your husband or your wife, from the moment you hear that, right after those words, a doctor is going to say to you, but don't worry, we have a partnership with Cancer You. let's get you enrolled today. So right at the beginning of that cancer journey, you are part of Cancer University, and you have courses to support you and a community and coaching, because if you have that from the beginning, you're going to have better outcomes. You're going to have a better experience. For example, with my sister, from day one, the best option for her would have been a clinical trial, but I didn't know that. The doctors didn't tell me that. And by the time clinical trials were discussed, it was too late. It was way too late. And I know so many patients that have had similar experiences that were told to go home and die. And they ended up finding an experimental treatment that saved their lives. So it's just really critical to meet people at that moment of diagnosis. So no one wants to join CancerU, but... If you have cancer, I want that to be available for everyone.
0: That's really an amazing vision, I'd say. Thank you. Yeah. So was there any big turning point in your life other than the first event that you mentioned?
1: I, I think the biggest turning points were definitely getting custody of my sister. December 19th, 1994, she came out for a two-week Christmas vacation and it ended up being a permanent stay because our mother did not want to be a mother anymore. That's an exact quote. And the second turning point would be when my sister died because I, you know, I really thought that, I really thought she was going to grow up. And, and I was going to see her go to college and, you know, I, I was excited to see what she was going to do in the world. She was very, very smart, um, and very talented. And I, I was just looking forward to that. So getting custody of my sister and then her dying were the two biggest turning points in my life.
0: Okay so I'm really sad to hear that. So what like what did she, did she actually wanted to become?
1: Oh goodness, she had a long list. <laughs> she made this list of 10 different things about a year before she got cancer. I think it was part of a school project and it was everything from an artist because she was she was a visual artist. She had had her artwork hung in three different galleries in Los Angeles. To a writer, to a professor, uh, to um, a computer programmer. um, You know, it was a really, really long list. I I really think that she probably would have done something that combined technology and art. um, You know, but a lot of her friends thought she would have ended up being a professor um, because she just loved school so much.
0: Okay, I understand. So this actually a really interesting topic that she wanted to combine arts with computer science or like technology. Because oh,
1: I think she would have. She did. She didn't put that together. I just think that's what would have ended up happening.
0: Okay, interesting. But like, it's really sad. To, sad that she passed away. That's really yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, so. Why did you write write the book, bit of Bald?
1: I wrote the book because I really wanted people to know her. I really wanted people to know her. I wanted people to understand what it's really, really like for a patient and caregiver to go through a horrific cancer diagnosis. Uh, Most of the other books I have read about cancer um, memoirs, they sort of glossed over the hard parts. And I don't gloss over anything. It's, it's, it's really brutal sometimes. And in my book, um, you get both my point of view and my sister's point of view. So she was a writer and she actually had an online journal that she started long before she got sick. And she actually kept writing in it when she was sick. And so starting at about chapter three, you see her point of view. So her words introduce the chapters and then you see, of course, my point of view. So the book is written like a journal um, because I kept a medical journal when she was sick and because she had this online journal. And it's interesting because, you know, often the patient's point of view and the caregiver's point of view are radically different.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: There's some humor too, so it's not all sad. (laughs) She was very, very funny. So there's some humor in the book, I promise.
0: So how, like, I don't know, ask, like, how were those days for you? Like those 147 days? Say that again? How were those 147 days for you?
1: Oh, um tough, brutal. I lived in what I now call a very healthy state of denial. I knew deep, 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 deep down, and it's in the book and I talk about it, that she wasn't going to make it, but there was no way that on the surface I could acknowledge that to myself or to anyone else. And so um, I had to had to be in this sort of healthy state of denial because it was the only way that I could wake up every morning and keep moving forward. You know, I, I could not think about a life without her. Like I couldn't fathom that and, and didn't want to. And and so I, I had to be, you know, in that place, but there was a part of me deep down that knew she wasn't going to make it. Um, and, yeah it's 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 it was brutal
0: That's really sad. Like I that's okay. Let's not go deep into that as as much.
1: Yeah <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. we can. I mean, I'll tell you something kind of funny. I found out later that my friends called me the Rock. Because on the surface, I was, you know, I, I was an absolute rock. And if there's ever um, an apocalypse or something like zombie apocalypse, (laughs) I'm the person you want because I don't panic. I really don't panic. Um, I just get very practical. It's like, okay, what do we need to do? Here's, here are the things we need to do. Um, So that's what I'm like on the surface, no matter what's going on underneath. So I'm really good in in emergencies. Um, And it was truly an emergency. It was, um, it happened really fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 147 days. Seems actually for long, but it is actually short.
1: Yeah, it's less than five months.
0: Yeah. So one thing... That I don't want to ask. So like this is a common 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 question that I ask on on the on, on every episode. So what is learning and edu- education to you?
1: Well, I was a teacher for a long time. And so when I think about education, I my mind kind of goes to there because I taught middle school, I taught adults, I taught college, and so when I think about education, I think of more of a formal education, whether, whether it's, um, during those sort of high school years or whether, you know, it's college, um, and some education's good and some's bad learning. However, um, learning is really on the individual and you have to want to learn. And I think it's really important that if you want to grow as an adult and grow as a person that you are a lifelong learner and that's not very difficult to do. I mean, with the internet at our fingertips and with books available, you know, immediately on a, a Kindle, you know, it's really not that difficult to be a lifelong learner. And so for me, part of that entails, I read every single day, no matter what. And, you know, I, I, didn't do that for many years even though i've always been a reader and when i incorporated that back in my life it just made me so much happier so um i think being a lifelong learner you know really means you know getting out there and just seeking information and seeking different points of view i think that's really important too
0: interesting interesting description here (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I didn't listen to the others. I listened to some of your podcasts, but I didn't listen to theirs. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, everyone has their own different example of it, like description of uh, what education and learning is. So, it's interesting. So, many have like this common base where, let's say, as you mentioned, like they're lifelong learners. And many, many, not many, but I had one person who said uh, that it college education was very important. And I don't disagree with that a lot, but I do a bit. <laughs> it
1: depends, right? College yeah. isn't for everybody. I, I loved it. I loved school. I loved getting my undergraduate degree. I went back and got my master's after my sister died. I loved it. You know, I love that environment, but I love learning too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Though uh, the thing I, I was saying that um, and for like, oh, let's start from the beginning. Okay. So now, <laughs> yeah, I'm just missing up words for some reason. The thing you is- You're to
1: be on camera. You are so cheating right now. <laughs>
0: I'm you trying. Really I'm trying to be, but like for some reason the camera is not working properly. That's that's uh, a very big issue for me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the thing was, uh, let's say, yeah. So where we were at college, not at college, but in in the education side. Mm-hmm. So he described education as like college education was important to teach how to learn, uh, yeah. or yeah. or and not exactly how to learn, but in which direction to learn, let's say, uh, or in which direction to learn, or have they learn the capacity to learn what we don't wanna learn. These three things, one, one is to learn how to learn, the second thing is l- like increasing the capacity to learn the topics we don't wanna learn, and the th- third one, I actually forgot what, uh, what I said. And <laughs> yeah okay yeah that's it like the, you can see like the two two very known one and the third uh, invisible one yeah so f- for for me i think i agree with the second one but not the first one a bit because uh, though i haven't went to college yet but in, in in school no one teaches you how to learn outside any other topics outside the school so I disagree with the first point, but I agree with the same point.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's actually interesting. And I, I know we don't want to spend too much time on this, but I went to a fine arts charter high school, very small high school. And I really did learn how to learn in high school and how to ask questions and, how, and to be curious. So. When I went from high school to college, even though I went from a very small high school with with a graduating class of thirty five people in Birmingham, Alabama, to a very large university in Los Angeles with you know I don't know what the student population was at that time I want to say over fifteen thousand at least, it was actually a pretty easy transition for me because I I knew how to learn and and I and I loved learning and. I really enjoyed it. Um, That being said, I can't imagine what it's like today. You know, when I hear about colleges with safe spaces and um, microaggressions, and yeah, I I just don't even know what to think anymore. Let's put it this way I'm glad I'm no longer a teacher. I'm glad.
0: That's interesting that you mentioned that you learned how to learn because I haven't learned anything how to learn from <laughs> high school so the thing was like we are in lockdown situation for like the past year so that there is no school or, or anything basically so right. that gave me the opportunity to learn from other people who are curious let's say or especially right. especially when i started the podcast on the first episode that i recorded uh that was with jerry Volander. and he said that you have to be curious and Mm -hmm. and i started learning that how to get more curious though i started learning how to ask questions way before that but it is a continuous process it's it's not like let's say you're going to learn these five rules and you're going (laughs) to know everything like there's nothing like that right it depends on the context of what you're talking about who are you talking about and what's the like overall everything, right? The whole context. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what I actually want So we're almost at the end. So any last word that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Yeah. You asked me about turning points, big turning points. And there was one I forgot to mention that was fairly recent. Six years ago, I left Los Angeles and I had lived there my entire adult life. And I never thought I'd leave California, but I was really, really unhappy, and for a lot of reasons, a lot, a lot of different reasons. Um, but I knew that if I changed my environment, that it would it would change my whole life, basically, and and it would shake things up. And but I didn't do it for so long. I was so scared. Like I had wanted to leave LA. As early as 2010, but I didn't leave LA until the very end of 2014. I waited so, so long and I did end up moving. I moved to, as I said, Birmingham, Alabama, which I was raised all over the Southeastern part of the U S and I went to high school here, but I'm not really from here necessarily. And if I had known how well it was going to turn out. I would have driven a lot faster. It was just, but it was still hard and it was scary. And, you know, I think, and there's a lot of different people credited with some version of this quote, but a lot of people think having courage means not having any fear. And that's not true. Like we all have fear and fear of change. I think is the single biggest fear of anyone. Like almost every type of fear boils down to some kind of change. And courage is really just having that fear and moving forward anyway. So I really encourage people now, whatever you're afraid of, if it's stopping you from growing as a person, just realize the fear is not going to go away. And the whole point is you just got to move forward anyway. You just got to almost like lean into the fear, if you will, um, no one thought it was a good idea that i leave los angeles everyone tried to talk me out of it except for one person and i did it anyway and it was one of the best decisions i've made for myself as an adult
0: okay so i have two questions here one why did you leave why did you wanted to leave la the first place mm-hmm. and the second, second question was, was the who was this who was that one person
1: Uh, The one person who was supportive is my now ex-husband, but we were married at the time, but he was very supportive. Um, So I want to give him credit. Don't want to name him, but I want to give him credit for that. Um, I wanted to leave Los Angeles because I had been unhappy for a really long time and I didn't have a lot of close friends. None of my closest friends lived in LA. They all lived in different States. I, I, I I was tired of just L.A. I was tired of the traffic. I was tired of the attitude. I was tired of um, the pricing. That that my ex husband and I could not afford to buy a home in the neighborhood we liked. Like I, I was just tired of the cost of living. Um, and there was this moment. There were there were two moments. There was one moment where. I came home and I was like, if I drive in traffic again and somebody, you know, cuts me off or tries to hit me or whatever, like I'm, I'm probably going to lose my mind. Like I was just so tired of feeling stressed every single time I got behind the wheel of the car and, and always accounting for traffic in your day. And, and then the second thing that happened was I um, my ex-husband, and I had just watched a film or walking to our car and I just kept thinking, you know, I just need to leave LA and it was not about the destination. A lot of people ask me why Birmingham? Well, it wasn't about Birmingham and i probably won't stay here forever. It was really just about getting out of Los Angeles because I didn't fit there anymore. If my sister were still alive, I'm sure I would still be there because she loved LA she absolutely loved it. She wanted to go to college in Los Angeles, and so I would probably still be there. But she's not, and it was time for me to leave.
0: Okay, Angela. so yeah, that's a really great thing that you actually understood what you needed and left. Left. So, where can our listeners find connect with you or find you online?
1: Uh, to get my book, just go to Better Off. Bald.com, and you'll see all the online retailers there. BetterOffBald.com. Uh, and all my social media is there, but also AndreaWilsonWoods.com. Um, cancer University is just cancer.university. And my nonprofit for liver cancer is BlueFairy, F A E R Y.org.
0: Okay. So we, we will try to add the links over the description of the video as well. Video or the audio, wherever they're listening or watching from. Uh, mostly, they're re- listening to the podcast. And yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, sadly, I'm not able to turn the camera for that often.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show as well. So, and thanks for the listeners who listen to the show, show, and as well as the people who are watching us uh, on a p- 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 period of period of times I went off so you go <laughs> with my picture <laughs> Good picture <laughs> I know but it's it's I, I guess two years picture. old Yeah, it's like it's, it's, it's um, around two years old so I, I had short really shorter hair it's, I guess
1: you, did? It, you do have shorter hair there so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah lead so really, I think it's it was at the end of 2019 and yeah it, I went to a picnic and there was a green wall, and I asked my big friend. It it was actually not a green wall, but it was a green wall, and there were a lot of things designed on it, and there, there were a lot of things. The wall was beautiful, but I chose a part where there was nothing, so because I wanted to create click a professional photo, I asked my friend, "Hey, mate, just ask me if, click a photo for me," and and after that, this is my photo on all social media platforms and i'm catfishing the world with it
1: good good for you <laughs> it's a great photo so
0: yeah okay so let's not get into the photos <laughs> <laughs> <too much>. yeah <laughs> yeah okay thanks again for the listener who listened and for the people who are watching this that's how we end the show in the episode not the show absolutely
1: bye bye